Hi, my name is Ben McCarthy and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Square. Today, we are joined by Casa Digital, the creators of VetSquare's Dancing Santa interactive experience. They're here to talk about the definition of an interactive experience, how Dancing Santa was made, and how technology is going to reshape the interactive experience in a post-COVID-19 world. Hey, I'm Dexter. I'm from Casa. Uh, I'm Jacob. I'm also from Casa. And we're a um, we're a company that creates uh, 3D content. We're a company that's changed focus for probably the past four years, switching from virtual reality to augmented reality to mixed reality. And um, during that time, we've we specialized in one area, hopped over into another area, and uh, are now exploring other areas. In terms of what we actually do and what we create, it varies based on project to project. And um, a lot of the times we find that uh, we're creating some groundbreaking content for, for certain industries. Jacob's our lead developer. He's actually employee number one, possibly the most important person in the company, <laughs> and is responsible for pretty much making things work in a way that we promise and then research very fast afterwards. <laughs> Thankfully, we've, uh, we've done a whole bunch of projects now, which we've said that we could do and we've delivered, and um, the majority of that has to, has to go to Jacob, majority of the credit. So obviously with that, what has actually been your favorite CASA success stories so far? You know, a, a lot of our projects are, are, are bespoke. And even though we do um, have a number of projects that, that are similar, a, a lot of the, the bigger works that we do uh, are different. We'd found that, at least in Australia anyway, the, the adoption of, of different types of technology isn't as... Um, isn't as gradual as obviously in America and Europe. And, you know, we have to rely on, on cool people like yourself to be able to introduce this tech to, you know, to their bosses and say, hey, we should try this. And, and so what, what started off as us being originally just a, a VR company uh, kind of spun off into, into different things. And, you know, so we do VR and we've done AR, we've done apps as well. And so a lot of our projects encompass a whole bunch of different types of mediums. You know, one, from a desperation point of view, because we wanted to make sure that the company was making money and Jacob was getting paid and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, but at the same time, for us, it's quite fun. You know, it's, it, it allows us to, to dabble in, in different types of technologies. But uh, I, I think that my most favorite one, I think, is probably the thing that we did with, with Eureka Skydeck initially. I, I love giving demos and I, I don't know, it could be a little sadistic, but, you know, frightening people is, is kind of a lot of fun. <laughs> and so when we create in VR, yeah, yep, sorry, VR. And uh, and so when we created the Eureka Skydeck VR experience and were able to show it on level 88, it was a lot of fun. You know, um, it, it was gratifying. It was good to see that what we created had an instant effect on people. Uh, the technology itself had an instant effect and it was almost like, you know, people couldn't not tell anybody about it. That was probably the first time that we'd done a VR project where it had quite a lot of exposure. It was in the public domain. You know, a lot of people tried it. It had effect on quite a lot of people. And I'd probably say that, you know, that that's probably my favorite so far. Well, it's good. It was nice that they um, put in the effort to set up a space for the VR that was, you know, themed. You know, they had like the plank and the fan and everything. 
uh, to simulate someone walking off a plank off of a very tall building. Um, and it was just really good to see all the different sort of reactions people had to it. Very, pretty much everyone had some sort of a reaction to it, which is nice. Yeah, I think I think to kind of add to that, you know, I think another reason why was because for us back then it was, you know, landing any kind of VR job for the most part is, is quite difficult. You know, you're, you're trying to educate the, the client that you're pushing the tech to, you know, from basically ground up all the way up until management. And I, I think for us that, that kind of represented, you know, one of the first times that quite a major tourist attraction, at least in Victoria, was, was making the step into, you know, introducing that technology. They, they weren't budgeting for it. You know, we, we're pitching a totally new technology to a, um, a company that's never viewed it other than the times that we've given them demos. And uh, I think for me, it was kind of like a personal victory. It's like, hey, here's this new tech that um, is quite new. Um, we're going to give you a, a shot through it. Also, it went away. It, it, uh, it was the opposite to a lot of things that the tourism industry looks for in terms of attractions like you know it was it was an isolating experience it didn't have very high throughput so we had quite a lot of things against us in terms of trying to push that technology um, and experience to them so when we got the the green light and it it went through and uh the the public really received it well you know it, it was it was a victory at least for me anyway so definitely my favorite and the dancing santa my favorite just for it being totally different to what we've been doing and the dancing center is like the opposite to eureka skydeck in that we're addressing as many people as we can in this space of the camera and you know the, the photos that i've shown you where the entire screen is just filled with people and elves and toys for me that was that was kind of uh, another victory i remember the first time i think i was there with josh and you know, making sure that the um, that the program ran well, and none of the elves were hanging, and the entire screen was filled with people and content. That was a that was a good feeling to to see that the first time. That should probably give a little bit of background about the idea of. Uh, behind Dancing Center, I think it was mainly because the brand new digital facade was at that point just over a year old. And I think we were looking for especially Christmas time to actually create much more of an interactive experience using the screen. Obviously, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a re- it's a really big 5K screen in a public space. So we want something that the public can grab into tools that can interact with. And so at that point, we were then obviously um, looking into mass audience interaction and then very much looked at um, augmented reality as the best way forward because in terms of for general uh, for mass audience participation that was the best way forward and so obviously with it being Christmas Santa it all kind of came into place. What were the challenges from of actually creating an application from the launch of the project to how it was finally delivered? In terms of the um, project that Dancing Santa was originally one of the main parts of that was body tracking. So it was the ability for the software to track the positions of every sort of joint on a person, so their elbows, their wrists, their neck, uh, and then transfer that onto a digital character and have that character mimic them, I guess, in their movements. And that uses, uh, in the past, we've done similar things. I think a big thing in the past has always been connect and depth cameras, which uh, were basically able to determine where those joints were and how they were moving. Um, so I'd done quite a bit of that at, 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 during like research in masters and things like that. 
And we'd also been approached quite a bit uh, for similar projects uh, using connects or similar depth cameras that would allow, for example, photo booths to overlay a digital character over a person and have that character sort of move and match them. So we, we had quite a bit of experience with that. So we were quite uh, sort of confident that we could do this. But it was a new technology. It was something that um, we hadn't done before because we used something called um, Renshade AI, which didn't require a depth camera at all. It just used a camera feed. So any any normal camera would set, would stream that, that uh, footage from the camera, sort of run it through an algorithm using deep learning and determine, you know, what in that feed was a person and um, where the joints were, basically, and how they were moving, and it tried to figure it out as best as it could, which was, yeah, it was very interesting, very, it's very impressive stuff, actually, that that's even uh, possible these days. But there was a lot of challenge at that point trying to work out how to get that character to, to mimic a person and not do anything weird. It's always, it's always trying to prevent things from going odd or, or weird or people's like the character's hands going through their face or things like that because um, the computer's doing its best to sort of mimic a real life person, but it, you know, it, it's never perfect, or at least at this stage it's definitely not perfect. So um, trying to put in manual sort of rules to, to this program to make sure the character looked as normal as possible uh, while trying to copy what it thought the person was doing. Um, so that was probably the biggest challenge was us trying to get that to work. Uh, I'm thinking of, of ways of making that really interactive and fun for whoever's using it. So ways of like uh, we had the, the digital characters, you know, making faces and uh, and like well, little Santa at the time making faces, doing doing hand gestures while they were mimicking the whoever was on the screen. Santa would, would bring presents out uh, at random if, if their hands sort of touched the coat, uh, Santa's coat, that he would pull a pet present out and that would eventually explode into presents. Just things like that to make it more enjoyable, more fun. I remember just some of the very basic things that we thought were, was an, an automatic given in the tech was, wasn't even programmed at all. Like, you know, an, an example of that is we were putting 3D content over uh, a person on the camera and, you know, we think to ourselves it actually is 3D, but the software itself could really only pick it up as 2D. So simple things like passing a hand in front of your stomach or behind your back at the time in us trying to program it was actually really difficult. So, you know, a person turning from one side to another, you know, this sort of stuff where you know, you'd, almost, you'd almost automatically think that it would know. It actually doesn't. And, you know, again, getting back to the 2D and them having no depth, obviously Santa's got a big belly. And so, you know, Jacob mentioned before, we'd have to make sure that the hand actually doesn't go through the stomach and through to the other side because, you know, a lot of that stuff happened during the, um, during the dev process. And this was us just developing off one person, one model, it wasn't until we actually went out to test and, you know, we didn't actually think of that, that whole camera effect of Fed Square where there's like one person and all of a sudden every, it's like a moth to a flame pretty much. I think, you know, the, the challenges that came up were all about the mentality of the people that were there and the fact that they had no exposure to this. Like this was a surprise to them. This was something exciting. I think one of the first things we noticed a lot of when we started testing at Fed Square was that there would be groups of tourists or things like that who would hop up in front of the screen, which we wanted to be an interactive experience, and they would just stop 
and they would get their phones out and they would start taking photos and they wouldn't move at all and they wouldn't understand why the Santa wasn't really doing anything anymore or wasn't really copying it, well, like dancing or anything. They were like, we don't know what this is, but it's Santa and we want to take a photo of it. Uh, and obviously then there, if there were people who did understand what was going on or were starting to pick it up, it wouldn't really matter because that Santa was only tracking a single person and very rarely was it tracking someone who knew what was going on. So even in those in those situations where they're, it, it was tracking really well, it didn't really work. So, And the, the other mentality is a lot of those people who were coming in and getting tracked were just walking through and they didn't want to stick around. They maybe wanted to look for two seconds and then leave. Um, and then a lot of like kids, for example, who wanted to stay there and dance in front of the screen, um, they couldn't. That they had no, they couldn't really pick up the Santa because the Santa was getting picked up by these other people. Um, so there was a lot of challenges there. That 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 program would work really really well if people knew what was going on uh, and they understood the situation. But because people were really just sort of moving through a space and just happened to notice this, we needed to make something that could be that was very flexible. I think that was flexible for the number of people, flexible for the for the kind of um, speed that they'd move through, the amount of time they'd be playing, uh, the amount of attention they wanted to pay to it. Um, and whether they, and obviously they didn't, didn't want them to have to figure it out too much anyway. So I think that second version ended up working out really well because yeah, we just adjust, very quickly adjusted it to work uh, in a totally different scenario. So I think it sets a um, a really good precedence now with with this sort of technology. You know, we've we've been in touch with Wrench a number of times since the uh, the build of the first project, and you know the the number of updates that they're doing with with their software, all the additional gestures and that sort of stuff that they're doing, I really think is going to add to the experience. You know, it, it, we did it on mass the first time, and that actually worked quite well. I think that was probably the most stressed that that program could be. You know, and if you wanted something a little bit more intimate, you know, there's nothing stopping you from zooming the camera in a bit more and then only allowing, you know, a certain amount of people uh, into the space. But being in being able to do that, we could probably introduce a number of different gestures. So, you know, those Fortnite dances that Jacob was talking about before, we could probably pull that off in, in a way where it's a bit more controlled and it represents better on the screen. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I remember the first time that it was full, you know, it was it was basically chaos, having so many people and so many elves and snowmen and Santa on the screen. It was like, I have no idea what's going on, but people are still happy to stick around and try and make some sense of it. And, you know, I, I think the precedence now starts from there. And, you know, if you wanted to make these experiences a bit more interactive, I, I think it's a good place to start. You know, I think the... You know, the original idea that we had going for Easter, which unfortunately we couldn't use, was great. And I, and I think that would have been fun. And the demos that we had in the office worked really, really well. The assets were nice. It looked good. And having a, a mini game, I think, would encourage more people to stick around the space and potentially get a couple of those stragglers that would normally just walk past the camera and, and not give it a second look. You know, as Jacob mentioned as well, we, we had to build an experience that required zero instructions. But, you know, within one or two seconds, a person has to stand in front of it 
and realize what's going on and kind of go, oh, okay, this is a game or, okay, this, this character is attached to me and if I move here, he follows me. You know, that's, that's kind of tricky to do. And I think, you know, once we start to introduce other in- interactivity elements to it, we have to, you know, we have to um, cater for that and make sure that, you know, there's no learning required. Just stand in front of it, go, hey, this is good. What would actually be your definition of an interactive experience? I mean, it, it's really anything where the actions of the person um, recreate a result in the um, digital world, digital space. So um, it's very, very broad, I suppose, um, but it is very rarely used still. Um, you don't really see a lot of it. We go to a lot of other places. Uh, in Melbourne, we, we talk to a lot of the other tourist attractions, and you just see that there's just such a a lack of interactivity like you there's so many screens there's so much um you know content around that they've they've really pushed and, and even now they'll, they'll pay a lot of these places are purchasing more screens getting more stuff going on but the interactivity just isn't there there's not really much uh yeah reason for a per- or much ability for a person to interact with the digital space and there's not really a lot of motivation a lot of the time for them to it either so it's it's really thinking of ways to get them to interact with those spaces interact with the digital stuff um and to have fun with that and i think that would be more of that the more of that we have is the better really i suppose so yeah i think to add to that it, it just means that you know if, if you're talking of screen time as your metric and you know if you did fire up um fed cam and a person is in front of it and they take a photo and then they go out I reckon you'd have some sort of average there based off a thousand people, based off what Fed, FedCam does, they may spend, you know, 30 seconds. They look at themselves, wave, photo, and go. Adding an interactive element to it, whether it be through a Dancing Santa or, or Bunny Rabbits or Halloween or anything like that, you have the possibility to extend that screen time from, you know, double to, to minutes to, to basically however long it is that you want. You know, I, I think originally we, what we had with the idea with Easter was that, you know, you were to run around and, and collect these eggs that fell from the sky. I, I could imagine a kid in front of it finding out exactly what it is and, and then being there for, you know, five, ten minutes just running from side to side, catching as many eggs that fall that fall from the sky. Do you actually think the current COVID-19 pandemic will, will, actually, will, will actually have an effect on, on how interactive experiences are going to be created in the future. Yes, a thousand percent. Jacob and I actually gave a presentation to William Angelis about this yesterday, actually. And, and we kind of broke it down into, into a couple of ways. I, I know you mentioned how VR has, has kind of hit its, hit its peak in, in its way in terms of its industry and that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I tend to believe you in certain circumstances. Um, but what I do know is that you know, with COVID-19, VR, at least from a commercial point of view, has been pretty much decimated. And I think it's going to take a very long time for it to come back. At least that's my opinion. You know, VR, having been in VR for so long, I, I do know how unhygienic it is. It doesn't matter how much you clean the headset, if you have tear-off strips or anything like that. 
being the next person in line to put on a VR headset, you know, you almost get that instant feeling of, ooh, this is going to be a bit bit odd. And, and I think from a public point of view, it's going to take a while for a person to immediately want to try on a VR headset that's just available there for, for people to try on. So from that point of view and from VR... Um, at least from that interactivity perspective, I think it's going to take a hit and uh, I think it'll take um, some time for it to, to come back up. But having said that, what we spoke of yesterday during the presentation was the, the screen-based kind of content that we're creating, 3D models on the web, potentially augmented reality, web VR, all that sort of stuff. That's booming. That, that's actually thriving at the moment. When Jacob and I talk about the word virtual, we kind of have the same idea of what it is. But the global definition of virtual is, you know, it could be as simple as a video. You know, Melbourne Zoo's doing virtual tours. I think even um, Sea Life are doing virtual tours, but in fact, it's usually just a live stream. But that content there, which is still interactive to some point, will definitely continue to grow and it will be uh, even more popular now. You know, that Fed Square Dancing Santa, I think, is is, is uh, a really good idea. It's zero contact. You know, if, if you wanted to practice social distancing in front of Dancing Santa, you can still do that. <laughs> you know, you're not touching anybody. People are going to be a lot more concerned, I think, going forward about what would happen, what would they do if this happened again? And I think a lot of the, definitely sort of the tourist, tourist attractions and, and spaces like the museum or, or the aquarium or anything like that, you know, they're, they're having to think about if this happens again, do we, what, what, what do we have? What content do we have? To still engage people, you know, digitally, um, remotely, things like that. So, and I think a lot of them like um, had had fortunately already investing a bit into those sort of things, like getting three sixty image tours of their of their sites and things like that. So they would put those up and be like, "Look, we're still here. Pay attention to us." Um, but I think that's always going to be consideration now. Like, if we, or, or at least a bonus, if they can think that they'll get something digitally created that they can use in different ways. Um, can put on the web, can um, send to people, can do sort of remote, uh, you know, Zoom parties or meetings or anything like that. Like, um, you know, those are going to be considerations going forward. And and, it, and even though, Dex, like Dex said, VR headsets publicly being shared around is, is a bit um, probably, probably going to take a bit of a hit now. Um, yeah, the... You know, there's still so much value to those sort of VR, AR, um, you know, XR experiences, um, and they're only the, the, the value's only gotten a bit stronger, really. With all, with all this, so, yeah. New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, and sign up to our newsletter at FedSquare.com. Take care, and we'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>